0: Welcome to Deep Dive, a podcast from the Louisiana Association of Business and Industry, a space where we here at LABI will let you in on the origin stories of Louisiana's policymakers, job creators, and idea generators. We're rolling back to the entrepreneurial beginnings of some of Louisiana's biggest employers, the innovative sparks that started major movements, the how-to behind our most creative
1: problem solvers. You know, innovation and ideas come from harvesting all great minds, liberal, conservative, independent. Diversity is probably the best thing that we ever grew into, me and my brothers, uh, of thought. Uh, and we don't surround ourselves with people we just think of well. In this,
0: our third episode, we're going deep dive live this time with restaurateur and coffee connoisseur, Scott Ballard. Scott's the CEO of Ballard Brand and Ballard Hospitality and a LABI board member. He was interviewed live via Zoom by members of LABI's Emerging Leaders Council. A group of under 40-ish members were grooming for greatness, looking for the next generation of business leaders in Louisiana. We thought it was a good idea to connect these emerging entrepreneurs with one of our more seasoned members who could tell quite a few tales, pass on some good advice, and truly inspire them along the way.
1: Fatal injuries reduced 45 to 60%. You either had your seatbelt on or you're not. The law is to have it on. Tell the judge why, why? Why do we leave that out? I'm sure a good attorney's going to tell you, but he isn't going to convince me. It's called transparency.
0: Yes, that was Scott Ballard testifying before the House Civil Law Committee in Baton Rouge earlier this year, as the legislature took up legal reform. Now, why would a man whose family business brings us PJ's Coffee, Wow Chicken Wings, and the Iron Chef be concerned about legal reform? Why does a family doing business around the country? and across the globe, choose to make Louisiana its home? Well, let's find out. It's time for a deep dive. Facilitated by LABI's Director of Public Affairs, Marie Santani, here's Deep Dive Live
2: welcome back everybody to our afternoon session for this uh, august meeting of lobby's emerging leaders council i'm here drinking dutifully my pj's coffee as i introduced scott ballard a member of lobby's board who is ceo of ballard brands and ballard hospitality several different uh, ventures pjs is probably the one you know best but scott tell us a little bit about yourself and and how you got started in this business this family endeavor
1: hello y'all good to see you um so my name's Scott Ballard. I was born and raised here in South Louisiana. I live in Covington, uh, which most of y'all probably know where that is in St. Tammany. Um, born to a mother who was a merchant; uh, she owned a music and Hallmark store. Me growing up, so I grew up with a register uh, before I could even see over the counter. Uh, so my mother worked that every day, and my father was a pastor, a Baptist minister, and chaplain at Baptist Hospital, where I was born on Napoleon Avenue. So five of us, there's five children, uh, three boys, two girls. We uh, grew up as a co- close family, very involved. Uh, like I said, grew up as a mother with a merchant. So I think we were always born to, uh, to be entrepreneurs. My little sister lives in Baton Rouge, for those of you who live there. Her, her husband is the new head coach of the LSU gymnastics team. So you may see more of them, Jay Clark. So that's my little sister and her husband. Uh, she was a 14-time All-American at the University of Georgia as a gymnast. So very close ties to Louisiana. We got involved, uh, and, and I went to Tulane undergrad. I was the past chairman of the board of LSU, board of supervisors. I was on the board of regents. So, you know, I, as you'll see through this conversation, I think it's very important uh, my dad always told me if you want to complain, you have to uh, be involved. So I took that literal. I wanted to complain a lot, so therefore I got involved. You know, making a difference was important. So I got involved. Ballard Brands is a is a it's a combination of about 200 250 restaurants across the U.S. in three different countries. Me and my two brothers own the company. PJ's Coffee is one. Wild Cafe and All American Grill. We own uh, several uh, five-star restaurants and, and other uh, iron, sh- our, our, our chef is Iron Chef Jose Garces. So if you watch uh, the Food Network, that's our chef. Uh, and in our restaurants, mostly the one-offs, we, we have five-star restaurants in Philly, New York, New Jersey. So right now is a tough time for that industry. Um, we also are a large importer of, and exporter of coffee and other items here in New Orleans and the Marigny. And uh, and then we have another side of our business that's Ballard Hospitality, and I say that that we service lifestyle serv- lifestyles. So the federal government, state government, when there's a hurricane or a or a pandemic like now, we will help with mass care and service everything from healthcare needs to food needs to cleaning to security. It's it's a lifestyle service company. So can add or subtract more to that, but that's a me in a nutshell. I have three kids, two. At LSU, and one who's in ninth grade, and my wife, Christy, who I just celebrated 30 years with. We met her when I was 15. So that's my story.
2: So, walk us back to the beginning. I have two siblings. I cannot imagine starting a business with them, let alone getting to the level of success that you have achieved. Wh- whose idea was it, and how did you get started? What was first?
1: Sure. So, you know, we, we, when I, when, we graduate, when I graduated college, uh, went to Tulane, all three, three of my, me and my two brothers went to Tulane. Um, when we finished, we knew we wanted to do something entrepreneurial. I had an opportunity to do some dot-com stuff. I was in that dot-com era, late 80s, early 90s, and uh, I went and pursued some of that from an investment perspective. Uh, we all call that broadband internet now, but back then, that was an innovative thing, that uh, I I got to work with helping from in it from its infancy, so that was pretty cool. But we I opened a Smoothie King actually in Athens, Georgia. I moved to Athens. My wife at the time she graduated a couple years ahead of me, not because she's smarter, because she's older. No, but she's also smarter. But so she was getting her master's in architecture, and uh, so I moved to Atlanta, opened a Smoothie King in Athens and uh, started from there and then we opened several and we created the concept called wow my brother paul uh wanted to create a wing concept so we opened the first one in covington opened several pjs in covington chapel hill and about 13 years ago we bought the whole company pjs pjs is where at tulane where we you know they're on campus so that's where we all hung out a lot studied and lived on granitas to get through exams so uh and then the next thing you know we created uh other restaurant concepts, other innovations like Ballard Hospitality, and just continued to grow not only the restaurant and food and beverage side, but the import-export side of coffee. And then we, you know, not only the stores, but got into the wholesale side, the grocery side, the uh, and, and every other aspect.
2: So you make it sound like you, you snapped your fingers and, and oh, found no. immediate success. What were the old, say,
1: the old saying is, you know, this is, the, this is it took 20 years to have an overnight success.
2: And what yeah. were those 20 years like?
1: You know, it's, at first we started and, you know, we just kind of opened one at a time, to be honest, and started in the franchising side, then created our own concepts and took what we learned in franchising and, created you know the, the life is based around systems whether you're raising a child whether you're married whether you're whatever you're doing you know systems kind of uh, you, you got to have a plan right roll scope mission to what you're doing um, and 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 when we created our own brand we we loved that we loved the innovative creative side of that so we just started creating more and that's what prompted us into buying in the iron chef and and in growing the iron chef and you know most people don't know we own that because we it's primarily in the Northeast, unless you watch TV, we don't have uh, high end restaurants down here in Louisiana where we're from. So we're always known as the PJs or, or wild guys, but uh, you know, we liked innovation and me and my brothers kind of have three different personalities We're you know, all five of us did at- athletics in college. So we were, we, 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 we definitely are competitive and we definitely uh, you know, I broke my nose 15 times and it wasn't always because of a fight. It's because of my, my we played hard, but on a business side, we have three personalities, thank God, or I don't think it would work. I'm very finance and business development driven. I'm very OCD to some, some degrees it relates to, uh, you know, systems. My brother, Steve is very operations driven. And my brother, Paul um, is more marketing, you know, uh, laissez faire, uh, let the good times roll, Jimmy Buffett, you know,
2: everyone needs one.
1: (laughs) Everybody needs one, but I don't need two. So, uh, So anyway, so, so luckily we have three different personalities and, and we have our moments, but we love each other. We came from a great foundation, of uh, family, and uh, we have great wives to keep us in check. So, So
2: good. Iron Chef, smoothies, coffee, wings, these are all hits that we can get behind. Did you have any misses? Did you have any ideas that just didn't play out?
1: Yeah. plenty of misses uh anybody who's successful that tells you they didn't miss they're either lying or we we need to all put our hand on their head and say, them <laughs> but um um yes, several so even within the own concepts um you know p j s has had had been a wild success uh you know there has been some closings, but most of them were due to leases and or you know a few wrong locations but uh Um, We've had some concepts that we've opened uh, up in the Northeast that, you know, we we either had to retool or redo. We've, uh, um, we've opened some wows that didn't do well uh, too big or they failed to on the items. That's right. Um, We've realized the smaller non-traditional drive-through is better for us uh, on, on, on that model. You know, so we've had plenty of, plenty of failures. Uh, uh, the, The good thing is we have succeeded far more than we failed. And every failure is really, you know, I don't like the word failure, every mistake or or something that didn't work was a learning experience that gave us the ability. I told my sister, she won the Louisiana lottery in 98. I said, so therefore I can never buy another ticket in my life because I'm not going to win anyway, but I'm sure as I'm not going to be the brother of the sister who won. Right. (laughs) And I said, so that's the only way, you know, that's the only time that you're going to be able to do that where hard work and, and and faith and a little luck's not going to get you there. So,
2: so you do business, you mentioned internationally, and certainly all over the country. What, how does Louisiana's business climate compare when, when you're, you're starting up an operation and, and working within our parameters of laws and uh, idiosyncrasies? How does Louisiana compare to the rest of the nation?
1: Well, you know, I moved back to Louisiana in 02. I moved to Atlanta, like I said, and then we moved to North Carolina where we still, uh, you know, enjoy a home and, 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 and and a lot of acreage, uh, which uh, I love uh, and would still be there if it wasn't for my children and wanting to grow up with their cousins and, and have that, you know, grandparents, you know, us, all of us from Louisiana, whatever brings us back, uh, it brings us back. But um, it was not for the, for the, for the business environment or the heat. Um, But I I will tell you that uh, Louisiana, God bless, bless its heart, as they say, you know, doesn't make it easy. I mean, a lot of, you know, whether it's the ad valorem tax, whether it's uh, um, the franchise tax, whether it's, you know, income tax, where you have Texas, Florida, Tennessee, other, other competitive markets that that don't have that. um, It doesn't make it easier. You know, you know, at our height, we were at what, you you know, we touched probably 8,200 employees, um, you know, and uh, some of that through franchising and others. But, but, uh, you know, we touched that, whether it's through the franchising side or others. And and it's just not the, the climate from a tax perspective, from a uh, friendly political environment. Um, so, you know, I, that's why I'm very active with Lobby and C100 and, and other things is because I just think to make a difference, you've got to continue to tell them. You can't assume, you know, the, look, politicians are people like you and I you know, and uh, they know what they know and they don't know more. And uh, they become less and less experts at things the more they're in politics because it becomes more about politics. So you have to, you know, almost hand feed it. And I believe that you've just got to give them what you're trying to say, how you're trying to say it for us to make a change. So we'll, we'll continue to work. But I would tell you, Louisiana is, you know, unfortunately not towards the top as it relates to business environment, especially right now.
2: Well, we we appreciate you being in the state and working to improve that environment. And certainly this last session, uh, I think it was during the special session, you testified when we got into legal reform and restaurants and hospitality might not be what people think about when they think about the effects of our legal climate on the business climate, but what motivated you to show up at the Capitol and speak so passionately?
1: Well, I got there, uh, you know, mid-morning I guess early morning mid-morning and uh, was supposed to speak earlier and seven hours later got to speak so I, I think if if I would have and spoken let's, let's I, set
2: the scene because this is during the pandemic and so this is social distancing masks sanitizing microphones between speakers uh not the normal setting at the capitol
1: yeah it, and it was yeah, it was in the height of it and so I got there and, and truly had a plan of what I was going to say and why and you know why we need tort reform why we need seatbelt laws that Senator Hewitt and others were doing, just some, you know, to me, it was, there, there's some really simple things, like when you wear a seat, if you don't have a seatbelt on when you get in a, in a wreck, the court being able to say, hey, they didn't have a seatbelt on, you know, that maybe that affected, you, you know, the punitive damage or whatever. So the, there's a lot of simple laws here in Louisiana, simple laws eh, that shouldn't even be debated that 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 we should be able to get through. And then there's some more complex laws that, you, you know, you, you so through the whole process, there were some very simple things and then maybe some more complex. And, you know, we are not a legal friendly state by any stretch of the imagination. It drives our insurance up. You know, I, I pay 18, I pay $20,000 a year for three drivers in my house. Well, and, and I drive a Chevy, a Chevrolet truck. So, uh, you know, my wife drives an Audi that's eight years old and my daughter drives a Mazda. So i uh, I said that and it was so funny after I said that I had like five texts. Can you send me your bill? Almost like, you know, I believe you, but don't believe you, which I did from progressive. But, but the reason I get, I got there saying, Hey, listen, guys, let's get rid of the easy stuff. Then let's look at the hard. But I touch 43 States with my business. I have drivers in 43 States. I know what my insurance from a business perspective costs in other States. I know what family members, my wife's from Georgia. You know, I'm looking at apples to apples and seeing these costs of personal insurance, much less business insurance. Truckers, you know, it, you you don't you don't do business here and own a truck. You move to Mississippi and drive to Louisiana, or move to Texas and drive. So that's sad. We're continuing to drive. These are simple things. So I went there to be able to just talk about facts, the things we know. After the commissioner of insurance was going to talk, and you know, some of the things, you know, you, you just you just put an exclamation point on some of the facts. Well, the longer I sat there, which was nine hours, wow. the more mad I got and the more I just couldn't believe that some of the things that some of these folks were fighting, um, simple things. And, and so by the time I got up there, as you probably saw, or if you Google, you could see I was a little more passionate than uh, the average, I think, respectful, but very passionate and very direct and like, hey, guys, it's time to do your job and and this affects us as individual mothers and fathers and our insurance at home but it also from a business climate side you don't take my word for it we are the worst and if we are the worst shouldn't you change something something you're 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 saying change nothing and you keep saying yeah but yeah you want to do this we want to do something but not that okay and i'd literally I think I forget his name from, from tangible, but I, I, I looked at him and I said, you have told me everything you didn't want to do, but you have yet to put one bill up of what you think we should do. And you're supposed to have that credibility. So that went viral. Uh, but, but that's what we need to do. I mean, I, it's in a Republican or Democrat thing, just at least debate with common sense.
2: You mentioned that families would brought you back. And obviously the family roots are what is a major contributor to your success in your business. What is it about the family? Give us one lesson from your household or or growing up or in your current household that you think ties it all together and keeps that root so strong.
1: Well, growing up, I'll give one from each. Growing up, um, you know, again, a family of five, a sister's the oldest, a sister's the youngest, and I'm the fourth of five. Three brothers were all born and uh, all within 14 months of each other. So, it, uh, my, God bless my mom. So, so um, we were all very close. Uh, we had a great family, great parents who, you know, is the yin and the yang. My mother was the epitome of, she was Miss Florida for the USA. She grew up in Miami. So she was literally Miss Florida in the USA. Wow. She was Miss Sunny Miami, the Orange Bowl Queen where she went to Miami. She was, she was that, you know, gonna be a movie star and da-da-da. She still tells me she's 85. You know what I gave up for y'all. And 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 so, so she was that that personality. My father was the all-American Alabama football player, six five from Prattville, Alabama, knew he was gonna be a pastor at 15 years old he lost his father when he was five in world war ii so you know it shaped who he was and nicest most calm again a little bit of the jimmy buffett type guy you know two opposites attract and and i grew up with that merchant energy and that pastoral father never ever to this day raised his voice ever now he would grab you with his hands that were huge and you, you knew to shut up but um you know and so you say what shaped you, we had a foundation, parents who let us be who we wanted to be, surely we were different, made, if we started something, we finished it, uh, you know, and, uh, and and no matter what, loved us, hugged us, kissed us, you know, and, 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 and supported us. So that was the found, you know, I think all of us, God knows we're far from perfect and God knows we have created, you know, enough headache for them and, and and probably our wives and husbands, but 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 loyalty, love, uh we don't lack. We 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 do that well. And then in my own household, I've you know, I, I think that transcended into my wife, who I've known since I was fifteen years old and dated since then. And, you know, she's my best friend then, best friend now. I think devotion and, and you know nothing's easy. Uh but but I I just you know, I'm that guy who just knows that the world is harder than what I have. So be, you know, thankful and blessed for what you have. So to know that every time I go home, I have a foundation of someone, even with all my faults, loves me. My children, you know, who I, I just, you know, that drives me to do the best I can during the day. And everybody's, everybody's driven differently. And God knows, you know, I have enough faults. But, you know, family is what ultimately, I think, drives all me and my brothers and all to be able to work whatever problem we have in at work we can work through it because there are always going to be more important decisions than the ones at work
2: well said
3: we'll get back to the special deep dive live in just a moment but first a quick word about a few of our upcoming events here at labi This week, we kicked off our virtual continuing education series we call The Impact, breaking down decisions made at the state capitol, on Capitol Hill, and everywhere in between. This seminar is meant for legal, policy, and political professionals, as well as anyone who wants to learn more. Visit LABI.org to find more information about this virtual series and other events, like our annual Workers' Comp Seminar, coming up in October. And now... Back to Deep live.
2: We are going to open it up to the class for questions. So if you have a question, we'll go ahead. And I would like to remind you, just for everyone's benefit, to um, introduce yourself, say what company you're with, and where you're located before you ask your question.
1: Hey, Scott, Arthur Dupre with ACE Scholarships, man. How are you? Good, buddy. How you been? Doing well, man. Um, my question to you would be: You're obviously incredibly involved, and and um, your guy is is uh, testimony to your actual testimony that you gave in front of the legislature. You put your heart in everything, man. A hundred miles per hour and a hundred percent. What what gives you that motivation, or what inspires you to give back and and to uh, put that time in, whether it's philanthropically or or in this case especially in public policy. You know, I, I, I kind of, one of the questions I had written here, why is it important to champion free enterprise? Um, you know, you know, as it relates to business, I just believe that ultimately nothing's perfect and free enterprise is how in business things are going to, to work and for free enterprise to work, politicians, elected officials have to have the best. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm a, I'm by far, my wife would tell you, not not, probably not the best romantic guy. I'm I'm a practical guy, but, but, but I'm an optimistic guy. I am absolutely believe good in people and willing to fight the ones who aren't. And, uh, and I think all of us, you know, I, I just, I just know I've been disappointed enough to know that if we as people who are mostly good, because none of us are perfect, but mostly good and truly want to be good in all the decisions we make, business, personal, and everything. Because, you know, every day we will fail, but, you know, knowingly doing it and or continue it is, is, is what I just cannot stand. I can forgive almost anything. And I see it over and over in politics and policy. And I just, you know, I just want it to be right and therefore – I believe that I have something to offer. I have an energy to offer. I surely don't have all the intellect, but, but collectively, if you and me and others will take what we know and apply it and then take what we learn and apply it and then take collectively minds and, and what we do and apply it and make these elected officials, look, they chose to be elected officials. Therefore, they, they have a calling to a higher degree than you and I. And they took that on, and so we have to hold them to that. I don't hold people to to a, to a, to a standard that's difficult, you know, on a personal level and everything else. But I will, you know, because we because until you walk in someone's shoes, you never know what circumstance you were given. But when you step in and you are going to represent something, whether it's a state, a parish, a, you know, federal government, or whatever it is, you chose to do that. Therefore, I have very little. Movement of you at least doing the right thing and explaining why you did it. I don't need you to explain why you don't cut your grass or why you and your wife are fighting or why you 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 make your son wear a hat or I, no. But but when you choose to come into the public world, so to answer your question, I I think that if good people make elected officials and those who choose to be in that who are, who are setting our policy what's going to affect your children and my children and how we do things. Um, if we don't have enough people willing to do lobby or other things and, and stand up for it, then we're just going to get the same thing over and over. And we only have ourselves to blame. I refuse to be in that number. I refuse.
3: Hey, Scott, Anita Begno. I'm the CEO of the downtown development authority in Lafayette. Hey Anita. I've been doing this job for a little under two years now, and I've seen a lot of people my age, you know, in their 30s and their early 40s, uh, really taking leaps of faith, changing their industries, starting new businesses, um, particularly in the hospitality industry. And I know you've had a long career with some challenges and you mentioned some failures along the way, but what advice would you give to those young entrepreneurs starting up businesses in recent years who are now facing something they never could have anticipated? And as we look ahead to the future and um, the challenges that we're experiencing in our economy, what would you say to those entrepreneurs to to keep going to keep pushing and to keep fighting for the dreams that they've just started to realize
1: great question it's um we just opened a new p j s in Lafayette by the way so um i i uh I'll tell you this I'm not sure anything that's worth having is easy and and if there is, I just haven't met that you know um and it, degrees of hard degrees of but anything worth having, you need to work for. And so what I would tell entrepreneurs, especially those people who, you know, and how I define entrepreneur is somebody who takes an idea, a thought and, or a dream and goes and puts most of what their world, you know, their, 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 their their money, their, their time, their risk for their family. uh, And they put it on the line. And for those people, Obviously, I have never gotten a W-2 in my life. I have never, ever had a job where I went and depended solely on a company doing the right thing. So I'm not gonna have the best perspective in the world. Sometimes I, I employ a lot of people. I took chances from day one. I luckily had success in the dot com world early. It allowed me to make some some mistakes, you know, that 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 not everybody has the right to from a financial perspective. But what I will tell you is that I would tell the entrepreneurs, don't quit, but don't be stupid either. Don't quit does not mean keep trying at all costs. There comes a point where entrepreneurs need to realize sometimes you're not an entrepreneur. There are all shapes in, in ways that people can succeed. We, every aspect of our, of, of every job, you need a welder, you need a CEO, you need a nurse, you need a doctor, you need a practitioner. And not one of them is more important. The dominoes fall without all of them. And and how we, you know, create the division of pay and all these other things, those are debates we can have. And those are things we every day we can work to be better at. But not everyone is made to be an entrepreneur, number one. So if you've tried hard, or if you create a family, and you just get to an age or a time where the risk is greater than the reward potentially for the well-being of your family. I tell you, don't be an entrepreneur. Support entrepreneurs. Support and nothing's wrong with that. Invest your money well. And then be an entrepreneur in how you invest. And you can have some of the same. So I say that only because I see a lot of people that just over and over continue to do something that doesn't either fit their personality, fit their financial capabilities, and or timing. Sucks. Sometimes timing has to do with it. Um, so I would tell them, but, it, but if you do and you enjoy yourself, continue to try, work hard. Most of the time when you work hard, you're good to people and you have a good concept and you've thought through it, you're going to be successful. Uh, even in my crazy business of restauranting. Um, but it's a hard business and know when to, you know, that old saying, know when to hold them and know when to fold them. As an entrepreneur, you got to really know how to do that. Um, you know, that, that's what I would say. I would say be realistic with yourself, your family and your needs. Because at the end of the day, if you don't take care of yourself, no one else will.
2: Hi, Scott. I'm Michelle Henskins. I work for FMLHS, so healthcare in Louisiana and Mississippi. Um, I know I would imagine that you would have a very large team, a lot of people that you employ throughout your companies. And these past several months have been very trying for your industry, I think, as they have been for mine as well. Um, Could you share maybe how you've been able to preserve your team and care for your team during these times?
1: Sure. So the PPE has really helped uh, in the restaurant, food and beverage, and lodging side of my world. I mean, we own a fair amount of real estate as well, which I didn't talk about, but but um, so I kind of have both sides. I'm the I'm the landlord, and I'm the I'm the tenant. You know, in some cases, um, the PPE has really really helped uh, a lot. Be able to keep employees, keep healthcare, keep these basic what I consider to be basic things that 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 are a must to keep our economy going. And quite frankly, you know, I'm I'm more of a conservative guy, no question, especially fiscally. But these are the times when our federal government and others, this is why we as people, you know, pay into me to, to to help this is this is this is when we need the belt and suspenders. This is when our empathy needs to outweigh our business sense, and we need to all come together and help people and so what i 'll tell you is you know we 've been able to do this because of the federal government because of state government and some of the things they have done to move quickly and allow us to make let people keep health care, let people get loans that are that are that are that are pushed off, allow us to uh, have money that will be forgiven. Uh, if done right, for to pay rent and and keep employees on while they are at home, just trying to deal with you know the everyday. So that's awesome, and that has helped. But that is going to end, and my biggest fear, um, and it's a real fear, is come November, December, regardless of what this PPE and what what's happening here. And I'll just speak to my industry of food and beverage and and lodging. Um, but it, but it's going to it's going to have a a, a a domino effect. Most people by nature stick their head in the sand, live for the moment. Today I'm gonna just do what I need to do for my family and all. And nothing's wrong with that to some degree because it's depressing the other way. I I heavily fear the suicide. I heavily fear the divorce rates. I heavily fear um, what happens when the government finally says no, but we continue to push some of these policies where we have to keep the world shut down and not have football and not open up cities. There's risk, there's risk. But there's risk to all of that too. And I hope, I pray that, that our world and our politicians and I yell from the mountaintop to Scalise and all of them, guys, you better start looking at mental health. You better start looking at at family relationships you better start looking at the things that keep the glue together because when that starts moving and the financial part ends because whoever says it's time but the government whether it's mayor state governments or so forth don't open up some of these industries and the two the two outpace each other where you stop giving but you'd also don't allow you know these restaurants, and/or hotels to open, or you're not booking Mardi Gras, or you're not, and I'm not saying to do it or don't do it. I'm just telling you there is an adverse effect to every decision. So we better think hard about this and understand, and I've had friends and folks with with COVID, and I am not dismissing it, but I'm all, do not dismiss the other side of it, of mental health and family and all the other things that are going to hit, especially when financial. So I hope we're balancing that. I hope you guys on this call and, and you spread like wildflowers. Let's look at it all. This is one of those times I'm not saying I'm, what I am right about is that these other things are just as real as COVID and let's not forget them. I hope that answered your question. But that I was able to keep people mainly because number one, I don't have a lot of debt. Number two, we were able to use some of our foundation money and of course my brothers and I, you know, since this all started, we got rid of our salaries and stuff and kept on many others. And, and and I'm not saying that pat me on the back. Many have done that, and as entrepreneurs, that's what you're supposed to do. And the government, and this is and the government. Without the government, we, we many of our hundreds, in my case, would have had to be let go by now. Got this. Is, um, I'm the faceless guy. I apologize. My computer screen.
0: My question is.
1: Post-COVID, and once the, the PPP information that's been tied your
0: industry over, do you have plans sort of how to respond, actually, if the if the economy and the industry itself, the restaurant industry, doesn't really come back as it existed pre-COVID?
1: So I think you said, and please confirm, that once the PPE stops, what does post-COVID look like? Is that what you said? Yes, and I apologize if my audio is bad. That, that's kind of my question. Do you have a plan for sort of to transition your business into a post-COVID model, that can exist at the industry's different so great question. Um, it kind of goes back to what what i what I was saying when Michelle asked her question i again, staying in my industry, I mean we you know I'm diversified, thank God, and have a lot of you know part of my business now because we do a lot of mass care health care stuff, PPE stuff for the federal government, state government stuff so that that side is busy right now, but the the other side that's not is the restaurant side I, I tell you I had a call this morning with a with a banking friend of mine. Who, who was asking similar questions because he has some clients who, who he believes in, but he just doesn't know that they will be able to get out of this, not because of them, because of, you know. You know, mine is very simple. I have decided, and again, we're, we're a little more diverse than some, but whatever you're in, in my case, I take, you know, we have four different divisions with four different presidents, and, and, and our, we one by one, we say, okay, in this part of our business, where are we? Why are we there? Where do we think we're going to be assuming the government reopens? I could tell you like, in, in, let's just take New Orleans. We're looking at that now. I've got 14 different retail operations, whether it's restaurants, coffee or so forth, just in the city of New Orleans. That is going to be far worse than St. Tammany Parish or Baton Rouge. Or So when I'm, when I'm looking at New Orleans and saying, are we coming back? I'll tell you if at least 40%, of everything touching food and beverage restaurants in the city of New Orleans will shut down for good. That's my prediction. NRA, LRA is saying more like 30. I will tell you, it'll probably be 40. And, and, and I won't be surprised. And there will be some that you will be shocked that don't reopen, that have been that are staples in our, in our city. So I'm just talking about the city. So our approach to that, because we're in several hotels, we're in several, is when we open, we're highly dependent, 80% dependent in the quarter on, on what the city does, whether it's Mardi Gras, whether it's a convention, whether it's the French Quarter Fest. So the mayor has a lot to do with that. The booking of events has a lot to do with that. I will tell you there, our, our post is as uh, a better guess than anybody's, but it'll probably be 50% of where we were so we'll have we'll have probably 30 to 40% of the employees we used to have um, we 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 will we will diversify more outside of the city unfortunately which will help this because it's not just me i am like a domino if i'm doing this so is Dickie brennan and so is other folks you know and so you know that we have a plan but you're not going to like that plan now st tammany and others you know we're, we're, we're a little little more bullish but it also gives you in some areas if you want to just think business, if you are the one who survives, you're still going to have a thousand people who live there. Probably most of them didn't leave. They're just doing what they're doing. They may have less money to spend or something. So now you have 30 to 40% less places to compete against you for the next 12 to 18 to 24 months until entrepreneurs come in and say, I can do that. And and, you know, you oversaturate again, but it's hard to tell.
3: Hey, Scott, it's Anita again. I have another question that kind of follows (laughs) what you've been talking about. So As we think about bars as an industry in downtown Lafayette, we have 16 bars and they're closed right now. Do you think that there should be any specialized additional assistance for one industry that was forced to close, not arguing whether it's the right or wrong decision, but the fact that they were, you know, kind of called out as an industry and and said they should be closed. What should the government be doing right now to, to help that industry over the hump, but Recognizing that every industry is hurting right now, um, you know, in in that sphere, so they're not alone, um, but they're they are singled out. What do you think about that?
1: So I think a lot about that, but I will narrow that down, um, and I'll send to Marie the stuff I have sent to literally. I, I probably talk to Mark Rubio's world, Mark Rubio and his people every three or four days because he's the chair of entrepreneurship, as you may or may not know, in the Senate, U.S. Senate, and his policy. Is very important to my world, <laughs> and and of course Scalise, who I've been friends with since I was a kid, we continue to drive things through him and our leadership. Um, I will send to you, Marie, and you can share with them the the working papers we have sent and legislation we have personally written that I have gotten uh, lawyers and others to write. Because again, I it comes down to it was vitally important that they get this right. And the same thing with with hopefully this next PPE round. So to answer your question directly, yes. I believe the CARES Act and other things should absolutely, not unequivocally, and I believe it will, address food and beverage lodging. I'm going to stick to that. They're going to take care of airlines. They're going to take care of, like they did banks you know, back then, and they're going to take care of Boeing and spend a whole, they're going to do that. And maybe that's what they should do. I'm not saying they shouldn't. I'm not going to talk about those big industries that are going to take an act of God. Literally. I'm talking about, uh, our industry. Yes, they should. And what's going to be very interesting is going to, is going to be in the next rounds next year are going to be these, these class action lawsuits as it relates to lost business and, and government shutting us down. This is unprecedented. So I, take me in Philadelphia and New York. I literally cannot open. I, I have a five-star restaurant. I can't put people on the street and on a 20-course meal. They're telling me I can't open, but I've got to pay for everything. The government's forcing me to shut down. The insurance companies are telling me that it's at, well, at what point does that become not a pandemic problem. It becomes a government and or mandate problem. And and, and judges are going to have to decide on this. And I am the least litigious guy you've ever met in your entire life. But this is this is when you start, when you decide, to start telling people what they have to do minus don't kill people be kind you know when you start telling that's fine but the consequences of that you then now if you have if you have the ability to tell me not to do something and I have to listen to it because that's your opinion all of a sudden you've taken some of you've, you've now entered the risk f- factor for me. Okay, because you're not allowing me to go and be an entrepreneur. You're not allowing me to open. You want me to pay my landlord. You want me to pay my, my banker. You want, so the PPE's fine to some degree, nowhere near all the expenses I have. But now that's gonna be the next round is, is, is the litigation. And then take it a step further. I don't know if you have this in Lafayette, but others are gonna have this. We provide the services to the convention center. We did, we did, we did 162 weddings last year, okay, in Philadelphia and New York. We're gonna obviously do none. But all those facilities that we do, which is the Kimmel Center, which is you know the big arts place in Philly, the convention center, all that, we do all those services. We have a contract to provide them. We have an obligation to pay X, Y, Z, an obligation to keep the employees. And in our contract, we have an obligation to do a lot of things that cost a lot of money. Well, Kimmel Center has now decided we're not going to open, not only in 2020, but we're going to cancel Les Mis and all the shows and all that through 2021 November. So now all the way till November of next year. Now, I don't think the pandemic, if, if the pandemic lasts, so then we'll we'll, get on, we'll we'll all get on to a crying kumbaya. But now now I cannot perform there, but I have spent $8 million on those facilities and contracts and all, who, who, who pays for that? And insurance is it because it's not lost business. It is lost business when people start telling you, you can't do this. So anyway, I don't know if that directly answered your question. The direct question was absolutely the government needs to do something for certain industries. Food and beverage and lodging surely is one. I always get nervous though when I have to rely on government for anything business-wise, but this is a a rare situation. Did that answer your question? Sorry, I I had a, case in point.
2: Though, Love it. You're, you're <laughs> here because of your passionate uh, positions. Yeah. Um, so so let's, let's give some final words. This is a, a young group of, of hopefully future active lobby board members. Um, you've been a, a, a very active member of this organization um, over the past few years, and we appreciate it. And you've seen what can happen when people speak for job creators to people making policy decisions. Um, what words would you leave us with just uh, for this, this young group who hopefully, again, will be future, future board members for Lobby and other well, organizations?
1: Well, I would tell you Lobby is, 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 is truly not because I'm on the board. Um, I, choose, I, choose, I choose to give my time and, active and money and so forth to Lobby because they make a difference. The leader, first, it starts with the leadership. One of the first things I wrote was surround yourself with good people. So whatever you do, surround. And look, you know, we we all I think try to do that. Well, Steve Wags back in the whole team. Uh, these are good people, and again, none of us are perfect. And but but you start off from a good place, and you defend business and industry to the core. And that's important to me. That's important to my industry. Uh, surround yourself uh, and develop a diverse group of team around you. So wherever you are, whether you're at the Lafayette. Or your uh, uh, economic development or healthcare or, or wherever anyone else is, um, my advice would be always remember when when you're building a board or you're building a team or you're building a group of advisors or, or, or you know um, diversity is important not only diversity in, in our culture um, but also diversity and don't find people who you who, who you already know think like you you know innovation and ideas come from harvesting all great minds, liberal, conservative, independent, as it relates to politics, women, men, black, white, uh, you know, way, way you grew up, rich, poor, in between, you know, diversity is probably the best thing that we ever grew into, me and my brothers, uh, of thought. Uh, and we don't surround ourselves with people who just think like us. We, we surround ourselves with good people and not necessarily people who are more, more interested in being activist as opposed to active. And there is a difference. So be careful. But, so that, that's how I would end. I would say, you know, be kind, be, be good to people, um, and, uh, work hard and surround yourself with good people and be part of organizations that represent who you want to be in your company, in your business and that you think best represent. None of us are perfect. Uh, uh, you know, even in policy. I mean, I haven't created, agreed with everything of lobbying, uh, uh, but that's what makes it wonderful.
2: Thank you so much, Scott. And thanks for joining us. Thank you, this Emerging Leaders class. This was our first Deep Dive live, and hopefully we'll have many more. So um, good you luck to all of you. You can only go up
0: here, so. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening to this special live episode of Deep Dive, recorded via Zoom with LABI's Emerging Leaders Council. LABI is the state's Chamber of Commerce and Manufacturing Association. We're the voice of more than 2,000 businesses, large and small, who collectively employ more than 300,000 Louisiana workers. We're now located at 5th and Main in downtown Baton Rouge at the LABI Center for Free Enterprise. For more information about how we help job creators and how we can help you, please visit labi.org or Simply text LABI to 66866 to sign up for news and updates. From the Louisiana Association of Business and Industry, this is Deep Dive, and I'm your host, Stephen Wagesbach.